Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome back. <laughs> um, we, we need to break today at 10.15 for the, uh, for the service that's gonna take place at 10.30. Uh, so we'll, we'll get started and, and uh, get as far as we can. Then next Friday will be our last one for this season, then we'll break for the summer, okay? Um, but let's, we'll, we'll see how far we can get with the Beatitudes. So we are in uh, Matthew chapter five, and we have gone through the first two Beatitudes. And one thing that I didn't mention uh, in the previous weeks that, that is worth mentioning is that the first beatitude, so in Matthew 5, verse 3, the first beatitude is, um, is present tense. Um, but then every other verb in Beatitudes uh, 2 through 7 are in the future tense. So that's something to think about. That's kind of one of those things where you just kind of go, huh, what's going on there, you know? Um, and so let's, let's we, we are at the third beatitude. So this would be verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And what is mercy? I guess maybe that's kind of a, a good starter. When we think of mercy, what is it? Um, there's a, you know how I always go with this Greek stuff. So this, here's the Greek word for mercy, eleao, and this root, Eli, whenever you see this, um, it's, it, it gives the sense of, you know, undeserved love or something of that nature. And there's even a word in, that Paul uses in, uh, in his writings, a leg kind, which is to rebuke. But because it has this, this the, uh, the substantive part of the word at the beginning, the Eli, even like when he talks about a rebuke, it's, it has a, a merciful character to it. And the sense of mercy, I think, needs to be emphasized. You know, we live in, we live in a, in a judgmental world. We live, um, you know, we live in a, a data-driven world. And part of the challenge of being in a data-driven world is we're very transactional. Like the way we process life, we are very transactional. And so to be transactional is I do this, I get that. And, and what happens is we then process 
spiritual, we, we, we can press, uh, process spirituality in this way. Um, we can also treat other people in the same way, right? Transactional. You do this, you get that. And mercy is in some ways anti-transactional, if that makes any sense. It's mercy is that you, you get something different than what you maybe deserve. And a great example of this, so this is a different word, but in 2 Corinthians 10, in the, at the first verse, Paul uses, um, he actually does use one of the words in the Beatitudes well, and actually, I don't know if we did verse 5. Did, maybe we didn't even do verse 5 last time. Or did we? We did. No? Okay. Okay, so I, I'm jumping ahead here. So let's back up to verse 5 and let's kind of work through these three Beatitudes then. So, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And here in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1... It says, I, Paul, urge you through the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And what he's doing here in this, in this verse is he's referencing the things of Christ. But the meekness is what is used in Matthew 5.5. 5 for blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so, I urge you through the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And this meekness, so let's talk about meekness before we get to the other stuff. What is meekness? How's that understood in our culture? Is that, what's that? Weakness. Weakness, yeah. Yeah, meek is weak, right? That's the way we process all of this stuff. And again, that's kind of, you know, the transactional side of our culture is if you're strong and you're assertive, then you, you will prosper. You know, it's that kind of thing. And so to us, to be meek seems like a weakness. It seems like um, being, shy. being shy. Yeah, and how do we regard that? Shyness often, you know, in our culture, we think that's kind of a negative, like, why are they shy? Yeah, kind of a weakness. And yet, go to... Um, Go to Numbers 12, verse 3. So back to the Old Testament. Numbers 12, verse 3. And we'll start at the first verse to get the context. So it says, Numbers 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. 
And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So, and the the Lord heard it. Now, what's interesting here is, notice it mentions twice, like, in case you didn't get the first time you married a Cushite woman. Did you get that? A Cushite woman? (laughs) And, And so they start looking at his weakness, right? They start looking at his sins. Oh, a for he married a foreigner. And so and this is his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. Yeah. And so they what are they? They're assertive, right? They're like, hey, we could do this. Look at Moses, you know, he he doesn't even speak well, you know, but we can do this. And so what does verse 3 say? Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now that's the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians 10.1 and Matthew 5.5. 5. Okay, yes. Well, that's a good question. Is there a difference between meek and humble? I think they're very close, right? Maybe synonymous. Yeah, well, let's think about that for a second. Well, Carol and I have a different take on it. Will you correct me if I get it wrong here? But we both perceive meek as like a, a soft, gentle soul. Not a weakness, right. but you're just a gentle soul. You don't need all that food line. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. I. Your last comment says that Jesus called himself meek. Yes. So we can't put weakness with you. That's a very good point. Since Jesus himself is meek, it can't be weak. Is the same. Yeah. Is the same um, in those three verses? Is the same word in the Hebrew or whatever that is. The, the Greek, this is a... Di- is that the same Greek in those three verses? It's a different word. So the, the word in Greek for meek is praus. So in those three verses, is that the word used in those three verses? Yes, that, that is same used word. for all three. 2 Corinthians 10.1, Numbers 12.3, and then Matthew 5.5. 5. And and I would agree, I think it's a gentle, calm, you know, it's, you know, this person brings calm into the room and um, stability and, you know, there's a sense of peace. And the world sees it, yes. Yeah, exactly, the world sees meekness that's exactly right so just to kind of clarify this uh, the world sees meekness as weakness but it's really not it is a virtue and uh, it is a gentleness it is um, calm and you know, you look, we can look at Jesus himself and see many examples of this. And, you know, one could be him on the boat sleeping while the, the, the boat's being tossed about by the storm and the wind and the waves. And then he comes out 
and he calms the storm. You know, that's a great picture or an icon of the meekness, uh, the gentleness of Christ. This translation translates it as gentle. It does. Okay, very good. Yeah. And let me see here. I have uh, a couple verses. Now, this might read a little differently in the English, and I don't have my, my Old Testament Greek with me, but um, Psalm 24, verse 9. Let's see if I get this right. Nope. That is not right. Yes. John the Baptist was never described as meek. Yeah, John the Baptist, yeah, he was, yeah, he probably wasn't described as meek, right? He was described as humble in terms of the way he dressed. He was humble in terms of his appearance and the way he lived. That is true. Um, yeah, that is a good point. But, yeah, and the Septuagint reads differently in the psalm. But at any rate, uh, Jesus also is this, praus, meek, in um, Matthew 21, verse 5. So let's go there. And this, of course, comes from Zechariah. So this is the triumphal entry. So Jesus says to go find a donkey tied with a colt, untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So there they translate it as humble. Gentle. gentle, okay. That's good too. Let me take a look at the Greek real quick and see what it says. Make sure I've got this right. Yep, yep. So yeah, and I like gentle. Yeah. Now go to Matthew 11, verse 29. Here, this is the beautiful, very comforting passage for us when we worry and, you know, have, have heavy burdens. So Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. There it is, there's the word. I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there's so much going on in there. I mean, think about, so Jesus himself says he's prouse, he's meek or gentle. He's also humble, which is a different word. Humble in heart, so deep within the core of, of who Jesus is. This, is. this is his characteristic, yes. I have a Google definition. Okay. I don't know from where it came. Uh-huh. But they say, what does it mean in the Christian faith? Uh-huh. And meekness is essentially an attitude or quality of heart attitude or quality of heart. By a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else, namely God. Okay. Yeah. So um, that was a long, a long, def a long definition, which was good. Um, so basically what it was is it's a disposition of heart uh, to willingly submit to whatever God brings to them. Uh, and you definitely see this. Um, and we can only do that through Christ, right? Through the power of Christ. We can only submit uh, through, through the Lord's strength. And that's an interesting concept, yes. Along those lines from a previous Bible study by someone Mm -hmm. over the years, I had a notation about the easy and the light burden. Mm -hmm. The burden remains, but it is useful for you and the Lord's work. Yeah. So it relieves you of your debt, so to speak, but, but you're still submitting, I guess, in a sense for that. Yeah, that's right, because the, the translation, my yoke is easy, is a strange translation to me because this word is Christos and it actually means useful, but it's this word historically is used for someone who gives credit. You know, uh, you need something and this person comes and gives it. And that's who Jesus is. So um, all these things kind of spin back and forth. And, you know, even in the, you know, the holy life, that word is used by St. Paul, that Christos word for useful. That is used by St. Paul. Um, so is that word used to say that Jesus was useful? Jesus is useful, yes. Yeah. Like, um, so Jesus, his work is useful because it brings to us that which we need and do not have, which is life, right? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, salvation, uh, divine peace. And then... St. Paul in Ephesians 4.32 says, be Christoi with one another. So 
be useful to one another. So credit one another, right? So in between the lines it's saying, be attentive to, to help out one another. Love thy neighbor. Yeah, love thy neighbor, you know, love thy neighbor. That's exactly right. Humble in heart. That says humble-minded. Humble-minded. The reason that he, the reason why they do that is because, so the translation from Greek to Hebrew is such that um, the mind in, in the Greek world also meant like the heart. It was like connected. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to have six translations in You do. You do. There's, there's so much going on. And <laughs> so back to, back to Matthew 5 then. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, what does that mean? What could that mean? Okay, yeah, so the sense that through the through our obedience to Christ we inherit right eternal life. Um Let's, just for fun, I want to see what the Lutheran Study Bible has to say about this. Just for fun. Let's see here. We will inherit the new heavens and new earth after our bodies are resurrected on the last day. That's kind of what I figured. Yeah. Well, let's look at the next one then. Blessed are those, so this is verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, this gets to a deep hungering and thirsting, which obviously lies outside of us. And the future passive verb, it's, you know, it's a future passive verb. So that suggests this to us. And the word righteousness itself occurs seven times in Matthew's gospel. And five of the, the occurrences of righteousness occur in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's talking a lot about righteousness. And for one thing, it occurs in Matthew 3, verse 15. And this righteousness Jesus himself must accomplish. And we do understand this in the Pauline sense, you know, St. Paul of what God accomplishes for people in Christ. You know what's funny about that? Whenever I say Pauline, have you heard that term before, Pauline? I had an Aunt Pauline. <laughs> so it's just all like goofy to me when I say it. But it <laughs> That's one of those old names, right? Did anybody ever know a Pauline? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so anyway, the Pauline epistles. <laughs> um, but we do understand this sense of righteousness in the Pauline sense of what God accomplishes for people through Christ, right? What the Father accomplishes through Christ. So it's a passive righteousness. And 
the concept of righteousness, it appears in chapter 5, verse 20, chapter 6, verse 1, verse 33 of chapter 6. And even when it speaks of John the Baptist, we're told that he came in the way of righteousness. So you mentioned John the Baptist in uh, Matthew 21, verse 32. We're told that he came in the way of righteousness. So this kind of righteousness could not refer to ethics or morality, but it's a proclamation of righteousness through Jesus. And we know this because in the gospel, the chief priests and the elders could not accept the preaching of John the Baptist, which it's referred to in, uh, in Matthew 21, 23. They could not accept his preaching, and then Jesus responds that John the Baptist came in the way of righteousness. But ironically, tax collectors and prostitutes could. So let's take a look at this for a second. Go to Matthew 21. So he had the triumphal entry. So this is where in Matthew 21, 23, the authority of Jesus is challenged. And it says, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them. I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd for they are all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority do I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So that right there shows the context of righteousness, this, this kind of righteousness and the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, it's through the, the proclamation of Christ. It's through his atonement. It's through his merits. And that's why the tax collectors and sinners embraced John the Baptist's, right? They heard his voice. They hear Jesus. The chief priests and, uh, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they heard but did not believe. So that helps give us a little bit of sense to this. 
All right, so back to the Beatitudes. So Jesus' plan to fulfill the will of the Father is the hunger and thirst for righteousness. His whole ministry, everything that he does, as the Gospels begin and he begins to march to the cross, we are witnessing Christ's hunger and thirst for righteousness, his love and his thirst for righteousness. What's interesting when they offer on the cross for him something to like earthly to drink, he refused it. Mm-hmm. And it's see, it just like turning his back on the thirst that we think of and it turning towards that heavenly thirst. The heavenly thirst? Yeah, that's a great point. His hunger and thirst for righteousness is contrasted, is, is what Leah said, is contrasted on the cross as he refuses to take a drink. His hunger and thirst is eternal. And so that's a good contrast. And one thing, too, to mention um, as, we, as we look at these Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes describe a blessedness under stress and suffering. So blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then Beatitudes 5 through 7 seem to omit the themes of stress and suffering. So if we look at the fifth beatitude, now we get to the one that I started at when we began. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So as as we were talking about, Mercy is a divine quality which God exercises to those in his debt. Uh, and, you know, this kind of gets to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 12, that talks about debts. Forgive us our debts. We say trespass, or, uh, yeah. But... But this actually is debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so this fifth beatitude is presented positively without any threat. It's just, I mean, you know, the beatitude on mercy is also very peaceful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Any, any thoughts on that or any comments on this? I mean, we see this throughout Christ's own, own ministry. We see, just for example, mercy to blind men in, in Matthew chapter 9. Mercy to the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. 
Mercy to the father of the epileptic son in, in Matthew chapter 17. So, the ultimate mercy, of course, is the resurrection, isn't it? It's what we see at the end of the gospel. Um, which gets to what you were talking about, Leah. It's in Matthew 27, 47 and following. They want to give him a drink. Others say, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Your first comments about the, uh, the attitudes that say have, they, they have, and those that say they will. Yeah. And futuristic. Mm-hmm. What, what verses were those? Because I have three that have have. Um. So the first four Beatitudes describe, uh, oh, um, yeah, are, are you saying the blessedness under stress and suffering or no? Oh, the future tense. Oh yeah, the verbs, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, first, the first verse, is in the present, the first beatitude is in the present tense, verse three. But then, it's future tense. Hmm, should be future, yeah. Yeah, which is an interesting thing, but. All right, now let's look at the next one. We've just got a couple minutes, then we have to break. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So pure in heart in Greek means cleansed. It's the word for cleansed. Blessed are the cleansed. So to be cleansed is to be purified. So it's not a bad translation, but just the sense of I've been cleansed and then I shall see God. Uh, that's an interesting thought. First um, John three, if I can go there. Yeah, I noticed that. I don't know what happened. Maybe I, uh, maybe I forgot to make a copy of that one. I'll have to see if I can find that. Okay. So at any rate. He says in 1 John chapter 3, if I find that, I'll, I'll bring it next week. 1 John chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
That's 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. And I think that's a commentary on this beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think it's a, a wonderful little commentary. So it is through the gospel, it is through the understanding which comes through the kerygma, the, the proclamation of Christ, that we then see God as he is to be seen, and we understand, we understand everything, right? We understand the world through it. We understand people's actions. The whole world begins to make sense when we behold the cross of our Savior, the cross and the empty tomb. It, everything makes sense. The world is evil. The world is broken. We see, we see things as they really are. We also then see ourselves in light of the cross and we find our righteousness through the blood of Jesus and we have peace. We have peace through his, through his blood. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, and then one more, Revelation 22, and then we'll break. Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5. So Revelation 22, 4 and 5. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this is the servants who will worship him in verse 3. Or verse, yeah, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. So... You know, it's this great comfort. You know, you can see what this beatitude is doing. It is helping us to see the contrast in the world, you know. And it's true. Truth does not exist in a vacuum. Truth lives amid the tensions of life. And you can see it with Doubting Thomas, right? Look at a, look at a picture or a portrait or an icon or something of, of Doubting Thomas wanting to put his hand in the side of Jesus. That's truth in the midst of the tensions of life. The world's going crazy. I don't understand this stuff. You're telling me you rose from the dead. I need to see Right? There's just this struggle. And the Beatitudes are pointing out for us that holiness exists in the midst of the tensions of life. Light in the midst of darkness. And uh, we'll keep going next week. And, and I think we might finish when it's time to finish. So, a rare occasion, yes. All right. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. I'll, I'll put that in the storehouse. 
All right, let's go ahead and close with the collect and then benediction. O oh God, you make the minds of your faithful to be of one will. Therefore, grant to your people that they may love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the manifold changes of this age, our hearts may be ever fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.